0: It is Ron Rapatello on the mic. Got a treat of one of the goofiest people that I know, although she would say I'm goofier than her, my home girl, Jen chow Fontan. And we started the episode because we're such goofballs about how we embrace goofiness and being true to ourselves. We also explore the concept of practice and how it relates to personal growth and intentionality. And she also promotes somatic coaching, which is something that Jen has gotten into in the last couple of years as the way to connect with one's body and increase self-awareness. So, Jen, thank you for being here. Excited for the Ronderings Universe to listen to your episode. And we were sponsored by Leverage Publishing Group. Check us out because we ghostwrite, edit, and publish first-time authors. Peace. Rondering Universe! I got my homie from my new leaders days. We used to sit in the same row. I think it was row four back at 30 West 26th street back in the early 2000s. And fast forward now, we're bosses. Want to introduce y'all to Jen Chao-Fontan. Jen, what is up?
1: Rap. Can I call you rap? Of course you can, come on. This
0: is this is the Ronderings podcast. You can call no, don't don't call me everything. I mean, let's be yeah, you can call me rap. Rap's aloud here.
1: <laughs> it's good to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah. I can't wait to have our dialogue and audience should know there's gonna be a level of goofiness here. So y'all just gotta be ready. So with that in
1: mind,
0: let's start off, Jen. What is your story?
1: You know, I thought I thought of this and What's really cool, I'll talk about what I do for work, I'm sure. But in somatics we talk about shaping stories. And so what came up for me is like one story. There's so many stories that we all have, right? So I was trying to think about, well, what's the angle? What's the angle here for renderings? Because I could give you a story about how I got here career-wise. I could give you a story about what it's been to be a big sister. Like there's so many, so many stories. Mm. So choose your own adventure.
0: Well, I leave it to my guests. You choose the adventure. I just ask questions as I'm curious. So which one of those stories do you want to tell? Do you want to meld the stories? I mean.
1: Yeah, I will. I guess I'll tell you a story about how I got here doing the work that I'm doing today. Okay. Okay. The headline from childhood was that I had a lot of responsibility. You know, I'm the oldest sister, and which is why I can relate to little brother energy.
0: Little bro- I, I don't know. I don't know. Little I don't really know energy. what that means, by the way. I'm really confused. Little brother that.
1: energy. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
0: fine. Fine. You got me.
1: <laughs> I think there was some of that happening without me, notice, you know, like really realizing mm. a, little, a little, bit, bit. little bit. A little bit. A little bit. But... I think I I really sort of came into this feeling of responsibility, leadership early on through my family experiences. And then being a mixed race, API person growing up, there was a lot of like navigating things that other people couldn't really, you know, show me the path for, where I sort of had to figure out how am I talking about my mixed experience? Like back in, the 70s, right? Early 80s, there really wasn't a lot of language. Mm. So I think that shaped me into this person that's kind of created things where there wasn't something already in existence. Fast forward, getting into organizations, getting into nonprofits, I was in talent slash HR roles or people roles, and really cared a lot about culture. I think that's how I got into those roles Is mm through my family experiences, like thinking so much about group dynamics and how to create spaces where people were happy, made me want to do that at work, because I had had some early experiences where folks weren't happy, right? There wasn't a big emphasis on management leadership. Folks were kind of doing whatever they wanted to do. And there was a lot of dissonance in that, right? Mm. So coming into organizations and really finding my place there, I sort of fell into it, Luckily. I realized how much I love that work, right? Creating processes and systems and, and culture. And in those roles, I was also responsible for internal race equity work. In the early 2000s, like we were calling it diversity, right? Yeah. And I was experiencing a lot of resistance. Most of my job was trying to convince my boss to let me do the work versus actually doing the work. Mm. So I sort of got to a place where I realized that there would be limitations, right? What I was going to be able to create culture wise, what I was going to be able to do, like from a talent strategy, DEI strategy perspective, was going to be limited by the person at the top. Yeah. Just realistically speaking. And even at one job, right? Me and my colleagues would joke, like, The DEI work is only gonna go at the speed of the number one's level of comfort with it. So, snail's pace.
0: That's in way too many organizations for us to name right now, Jen. Yep.
1: I know you know what I'm talking about. So, that caused me to be like, huh, let me do my own thing. Cause then the only person who can tell me to slow down is myself, right? And Mm -hmm. I got really excited about how do I support leaders to not be that top person slowing things down, right? How do I support that top person to be brave, to own their own stuff, to show up to conversations and be willing to make mistakes or be willing to say, I don't know that. I'm going to have to figure that out, right? So I decided to kind of come at it from a different perspective, which led me to coaching. So really working with individuals and supporting people to grow their leadership. Mm. That's one story. Yeah,
0: how did you find being the oldest child and what you learned from that station in your life pervaded your approach to eventually get into somatic coaching?
1: Ooh, good question, Jen. Come on, I don't.
0: Why you sh- You don't even have to say. You'd be like, God, You just drop wisdom.
1: What? what, what? <laughs> oh no, the goofy. I know. I didn't no. mean to be surprised. I am a little surprised. I am a little surprised that right I could
0: actually be serious. I know, it, but it comes. It's going to come out.
1: You're being focused. You're yes. listening. You're asking great questions.
0: <laughs> you're not I being you were... annoying and bothering you and being.
1: <laughs>
0: it's going to come. Don't worry. It's it's. it has come.
1: It's, it's, it's starting coming. to. Yeah, it's starting <laughs>
0: already. Oops.
1: <laughs> um. Okay. So I. I think my experiences within family, I'm sure some of this was nature. And then some of it was nurtured by the very dynamic of our family. But I became so attuned to everybody in the family. Yeah. Like I really pick up on where other folks are at, I can read the room. And I was also kind of the person who was trying to translate between my little brothers and my parents, right? So just very much in the mix and picking up vibes from other people. Okay. And and like knowing how to bridge, right? So I think all of that attunement led me to this place where I really understood, you know, we could be acting in certain ways within organizations, but then there's like vibes. There's underlying stuff that's happening that our greater culture isn't really cool with us diving into. We don't right. talk about feelings at work right? We don't want to get into all of that. And so I I think really understanding the value of that and like, I can teach you and some of my early executive coaching was like this, I can teach you how to delegate. But I can tell there's something underneath that that is like a lack of trust in your people. Or a lack of trust in yourself mm. to do the work that is left once you delegate what should be delegated. So I always had this instinct that there's like something going on below the surface that we needed to address, right? Like whatever sticking out of the water, the iceberg is only a small part, that there's this larger part. And I think I knew that from family stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Like what we talked about was only <laughs> what we could see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, right? Because I think I've talked about this on other podcast episodes. I've also talked about this a lot personally, and you and I may have even, in fact, talked about this in our twenty-year friendship, right? And work relationship is idea of seeing the unseen, your intuition. I'm curious, Jen, and maybe I'll, I'll put some cards on the table, right? That a lot of my own coaching approach and understanding of how I see the world has alignment with how my mom came into existence and sees the world. My mom saw things. So Mm -hmm. to be very specific on what that is, is my mom was able to experience the souls of people that have passed and are no longer in their body. Mm -hmm. I have that gift. So what I've often told people when I coach her, yeah, it's, I'm not going to freak you out. I know, it's, well, new. I didn't know that. Bam, for three. Yeah, I I dropped the 35, like, put three pointer on you. I know it's just for the swab around. No, but see, you know, see, oh, oh, nerd, nerd alert. Uh, nerd alert. Yeah. <laughs> Big time. Oh, let me push up my glasses. Push
1: up your glasses. Yeah.
0: So, what that has meant for me is like, I can, when I am talking with people, sounds like you have a similar gift. And so, I think my direct question to you is how much does your somatic coaching and your lived experience? come from things that are hard for you to explain or whatever you decide, mm-hmm. whether it's a spiritual sense, I call it my ancestral wisdom. Like, what is it about what makes Jen Chao-Fantan special as a somatic coach?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And I have so many questions for you, but I know we're here to talk about- You need right to have your right own the podcast then. <laughs> I'm, I'm the one on the I get to ask <laughs> questions. <laughs> I have my own. Yeah. Have my own. Okay. So somatics is really about understanding. We talk a lot about shaping, right? We talk a lot about shape that you want to be in. And so it's really this process of moving from your old shape to your new shape. The old shape Mm. has a lot of wisdom, right? There there are patterns though that we find ourselves in that come from coping mechanisms, right? That we Mm. developed probably very early on To adapt, they're adaptive. They help us to survive. But it's important to see them so that we can also see is there something that's getting in the way, right? Like there is some wisdom in them and some skill in them, but usually they come with some downsides, right? Mm -hmm. Because now we're adults and we have more capacity to deal with challenges. We have more capacity to handle pressure, right? Than what the coping mechanism is thinking we're capable of. So, I think that my ability to feel what's not being said, to feel people's emotions, supports me, right? Because there is this power in coaching to be able to say, Do you see this? I'm seeing it or I'm sensing it. Is that there for you? Yeah. Right? Because sometimes these things are so natural to us that we're not seeing them anymore, that we just feel like, Well, this is me. Right. And you're right. not seeing this pattern or this cycle that you're in.
0: Yeah, it's powerful stuff. would like to be that mirror for people. Right. Cause I've often found yeah. in my own coaching practice, right. It's being able to notice patterns of behavior. It's also to notice word choice that people use, but it's also to mm-hmm. notice for me, this is where I get really fascinated right? Right. And so with somatic coaching, and I imagine this day and age, I don't know how much of your somatic coaching is fully in person. Is it hybrid? Mm-hmm. Is it zoom? Like putting more of my spiritual sense on the table is I have found in the age of zoom that the mechanisms by which we interact with people, right? Cause there was a time we didn't have a lot of video like this, right? Yes. There was go-to meeting and other platforms, right? Which back in our day were used, but not used all that much. Right. Mm-hmm. And but we've had phone. And so it argue that all we're doing using zoom, just like you would in person is manifesting energy. Mm-hmm. Somatics are a play there I would argue right from your definition of it. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just get really into like, I'm curious about like your own practice, how that looks in terms of like preferences or ways you have to show up in somatic coaching. If it is zoom versus in person or, I don't know if you do phone I do phone coaching too there's sometimes I'm doing mm-hmm. coaching with folks and I don't see them but I have right. to say I feel like I really experience people even without mm-hmm. there being certain modalities right in front of my face like I can see yeah. them
1: right Totally I think I think that's right and it sort of makes me think about you know just like what different modes do to your senses right Yeah I also felt like when I I don't do phone anymore, really, but I used to. And I always felt like my listening, right, was so much stronger because or heightened, because that's what I that's the only thing I was using on the phone, right? I do most of my work on zoom. uh, And that's pre pandemic also, because most of my clients are across the country. And sometimes people will say, can you really feel what's going on with any other person, you know, not being in the same room, and I, I can, or you pick up on cues, and you can learn a lot by looking at body language and noticing a shift in energy yeah. from the other person, so there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of information,
0: yeah, yeah, there is something about having more of that that in front of you. I, I've always realized that the power of being able to have the full dimension of someone physically in front of you could be really powerful, and at the end of it all, right. My argument is I think the speed at which things come to us is still relatively fast, even if someone is in front mm-hmm. of us. It's just it's easier because it's like the yeah. proximity of someone being in front of us. You can experience all that things, but you know, if I think about the speed at which energy, light, all those things travels, it's quite fast still. Right. Yeah. It's a, a matter of like how we get attuned to pick up on those things.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Because that mm-hmm. ultimately
0: fascinates me is like, you know, you can coach people and feel people sometimes without put some more cards in the table, actually experiencing them and being in front of them. Because I get right. that all the time. Like, I have a spiritual coach. I don't, I, I'm, it's been like we're literally catching up in real time. It's been, so why did you know it's been years since I've talked with Jen, right? But we follow each other in social, etc mm-hmm. And I found a purpose coach. She's my spiritual coach, Julie Chan. And we met through the world of Coral Leadership New York. We did it in different years. And she went through a transition of being in economic development and then going more into following her incredible ability to be able to see people and experience mm. like what's next for them. She's the Akashic Records, right? Mm-hmm. She's had this gift since college, at least, if not earlier. And she's been someone that both me and my missus utilize for purpose readings to ask questions and say, what are you Mm. sensing? And it's Mm -hmm. really fascinating to me, right? Because I think in all these worlds of how people coach, it's just a matter of like, what are you using and all the dimensions of knowledge and wisdom that's out there to be able to help people around guidance, like what they should be doing next and what they're kind of experiencing. So I mean, just Mm -hmm. like when the spectrum of coaching, right, is just like, I don't think, and it sounds like you and I are aligned, like coaching is not just something from what you experience of the five senses it has mm-hmm. to be more dynamic than that. So guess the question, yeah. like how do you explain somatic coaching to people who know nothing about it, right? Where it's just like, wait, but what? Like, how's it different yeah. than like other, like what? what's this whole thing about that yeah. you got into?
1: Yeah, so I will say it's very practice-based. It's, you know, really thrives in repetition. Mm. Um, I think I told you, came up with this, you know, analogy to share with people because sometimes it is really hard to understand. I say it's like personal training. Yes. But for joy or confidence or ease, right? Like Mm. fill in the blank, whatever it is that you're yearning to be more of. It's basically like personal training for that. So we're not necessarily lifting weights, right? But we are like, great. How many reps can I do of that to the point where it becomes a habit? Right? We say 300 times of doing something creates a habit and 3,000 creates embodiment. So mm. let's say you want to be more confident. Right, What we would do is understand, well, what's getting in the way of you feeling that already? And where did that come from? Right, right. And understanding where it comes from then helps you to notice it more mm. right? or helps you to see, okay, this got shaped in me, but I actually have choice. I can be practicing something new, right? Mm -hmm. We also wanna understand what pressure does to you, right? Usually there's like a fight, flight, freeze, dissociate, right, possible response. Right. And those all sort of cut off sensation and cut off feeling. So there's also this practice of like, when under pressure, how do you support yourself? How do you support your nervous system? to feel safe yeah. so yeah. that you can actually make a new decision. Usually we're not gonna make a new choice and choose a new path when we're activated. That's not the time. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> right? yeah.
1: So there's like something to be said for taking a beat and then being like, wait a minute, What are the? what is the next action that's gonna support me in moving to this new shape, this way that I wanna be in the world?
0: Yeah. And at some level, create, helping people recreate the spaciousness that they already have, right? That's one of the things that when I've talked to people mm-hmm. about, I think, my own journey, right? It's creating space within myself, creating space with others, and the space you create within systems, right? Mm-hmm. So to go back to, I know, like, Jen, audience should know, when I got to know you, you were a emerging, younger talent leader with a very strong like DI anti-racism lens before folks even knew what that, or it, before it became a lot more popular, quote unquote, to say that in the social impact space, right? And mm-hmm. tying things together, I, I think, and you've done this, tie this for yourself, is the somatic coaching allows you to mm-hmm. go deeper into the root cause for why leaders are being racist, <laughs> Right. At some level, right? I mean, it's not the only, but like in our society and what I'm Uh like connecting the dots for what I know of your very vast experience from, you know, senior talent leader to coaching across a lot of different organizations, Mm -hmm. your individual coaching practice and now the somatic coaching is this wanting to get right at the root of like being able to really heal people because without people being able to heal within themselves, I may make the argument that even the systems work they may be doing, if they're not energetically aligned with it themselves, they're always going to buck the systems.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Right.
0: You can create the best yeah. policies in the world on things that are done. If you're the leader, you're not as aligned in understanding of like why this matters and the purpose of it. Yes. You're going to resist it if in fact dismantle said things.
1: hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. What I love about somatics is that it puts us all back into our bodies. Mm. There is a lot about white supremacy culture, about <sighs> capitalism, that removes us from our bodies. Disembodiment, hey, right?
0: that, that, amen. Yep, that's,
1: that's right. Good <laughs> right? little robot, do your work and produce and don't complain and don't, definitely don't cry, right? So that feels good to me that the, the coaching methodology I use supports people to get embodied again, mm. put their pieces all back together, right? Yeah. And appreciates the wisdom of the full body, not just this reliance on the intellect, right? Yes. Which you could say so many of our cultures start from that place. Our, so many of our cultures know that there's wisdom in the body, right? Just from the practices that we do around mindfulness and presence. Like yeah. we know this, but this culture that we're in, definitely in the, in the States, right? Is how do, we, how do we just cut that off, suppress that, yeah. right? Mm. So yeah, this feels like a disruption to, to all of that, to white supremacy culture mm. and helps people to really sort of trust themselves I work with a lot of QT, BIPOC folks that struggle with imposter syndrome.
0: Mm, Yeah. Right? Mm.
1: Imposter syndrome can really only exist if you don't trust yourself. Yeah. Right? And trust what your body is telling you. We feel imposter syndrome when we're like, something doesn't feel right, but everyone else is acting like there's something wrong with me. Or everyone else seems fine, but I'm feeling off. Right? And so... It's really, it's really, to me, a practice of bringing ourselves back to this place of knowing that exists, like everything we need is right here in our bodies.
0: It reminds me what you said. I went to an undoing racism workshop through the folks at PSAB some years back. And one of the many wisdom nuggets that were shared, but this one in particular really resonated with me, was talking about how racism has cut off our head from our bodies and I yeah. my, my my entire being said, Oh, damn, that's it. Because I was like mm-hmm. trying to understand, like there was this really cool activity that we did it was talking about like, you know, the different races, right? It's like, what's great about being white? What's great about being black? What's great about being Latinx it's great about being Asian? And you saw the difference between black, Latinx, and Asian, and white was really around embodiment, culture, dance, food. Nothing about the definite. When I saw that, I was like, "Oh shit!" This explains it all. Not, not you know what I'm saying. But like, I think in my body and in my spirit, I said, "Oh, now when I've approached people since that workshop, my understanding of where people are in that spectrum of back to new leaders language, self awareness, and that's not just new leaders, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, this is that's Goldman stuff, right? You know, yeah, I know, I know, but." where folks are being able to articulate how they're feeling, how their bodies feel like my own mm-hmm. journey, being able to meditate the gift of daily meditation, seven years, almost straight. You will talk about reps. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, you know, for me, like, so I think I've learned in my cis hetero maleness that I've had to meditation has been one of the huge equalizers for me to not get so disembodied, because my cis-hetero maleness, mm-hmm. it's easy for me to be disembodied. And go, everything is about me. I want, want, want more, more. You know what I'm saying? Because that's literally how yeah. my cis, yeah, oh, cis male right. identity feels. It's like the world is mine. Take it, grab it. It's yeah. yours. Be impatient. Be oblivious. And it's really scary when, even with as much as I think I'm embodied. I had it happen when I was getting, as a chiropractor appointment, I cut someone in line because I had it in my head. I'm like, oh, this, it was a woman, right? Oh, well, they were just signing up, so I should go next. But it's like, no, I'm next. And I was like, oh, oh, Ron, they were here before <laughs> you. Come on now. <laughs> I was like, oh, yay, yi, yi, And so, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. to, to know what I was yes, feeling absolutely. in that moment and be yeah. able to calculate, like, what my, it wasn't just a, Oh no! I just take it for granted that I'm always next, right? You know what I'm saying? Like there was a rational understanding, like oh, right, sit your ass down, Ron. (laughs) You'll go next in three minutes, right? It's not, and it's not the end of the. You know what I'm saying? Because it could be easy to like you let these things spiral because some oversimplified way. That's how I I think privilege often comes up, right? Is folks not wanting to acknowledge that in a situation there was some deeper thing around why they did what they did and then why they're reacting the way that they're reacting. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. It's so true. I mean, before, when I was talking about all the stories, right, Yeah. we do this practice called shaping stories where we really reflect on where we got shaped Mm. in these different sites. Right. So it's like family. What did we learn from family? What experiences did we have? What beliefs did we grow up with? Right. From Mm. those who are close to us. Or in our family, and then it's thinking about institutions we've come through—educational, religious, right? Any other institutions that really impacted you growing up? We think about the communities we're a part of. These circles get bigger and bigger, right? And what you're talking about is social social norms. Yeah. So how are we shaped based on our race? How are we shaped based on our gender identity? Right. Yeah. All of that comes through, and then has you showing up in the ways that you do, right? And that's a really big site of shaping social norms, right? Like we, we all feel that there are cues yeah. in the media, right? Mm-hmm. Everything that we're consuming teaches us these things, Amen. right? Yeah. Which is why you can mm-hmm. say, oh, a lot of cis hetero men show up like this because you're, you know, they're all shaped in the similar way in this country, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, it's really good when you're aware of that because then, you can probably see right like how that has you interacting with people how how does that have you thinking about yourself what's possible what's not possible yeah right and then you get to ask yourself how do i want to be
0: that we can still change shape while we're still in our bodies that's the powerful thing that's the yeah yeah so i want to go in the way back machine jen because the audience should know we spent i mean how long were your new leaders jen
1: I think it was 2005 until 2011.
0: Wow. Yeah. So we worked together for six years. And I have to say for the audience that that time, though there's much stuff that I won't say on this podcast that I didn't enjoy about being there, the people like you and countless others, I mean, countless, yeah. right? It's the one place I worked at that I have the most affinity for what I learned, who I got to know. And it really became one of the deeper foundations of my personal professional career. So I guess to ask you, Jen, before I get into your rendering, what did you take away from that experience? Like, what was it there? Cause I know what I took away, right? I shared a little bit like, what did you take away? What was your like big learning from your time being at New Leaders that shaped who you are today?
1: Yeah. The first word that came up for me was passion. Mm. It felt like we were all so excited about what we were trying to do. We really believed in it. We were like, yeah. if we could just put amazing leaders inside schools, right? That's obviously going to be better for all of our students. And I just remember being there like 8 p.m., 9 p.m. Like, why are we still here?
0: Ooh, yeah, that martyr culture is real. Oh Burn that midnight oil. It yeah. really
1: was. Mm-hmm. they're really... There was a little bit of that, but also I think what came together with that was the passion. And also we really all liked each other. Like we were yeah. friends and this, like I know we were in our twenties, right? Most of us. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was just like that mix of things. It felt fun. Like we were trying to do hard stuff, yeah. but it felt really fun. And we tease each other about being nerdy. Like we seriously were nerding out oh <laughs> work related things, Yeah, right? but it was fun because we had each other and other people like that who were like, yeah, I want to think about this and wrestle with it. So I think it taught me like how amazing it could be when everyone was on the same page, caring about the same stuff and also liked each other, like how much energy there could be in that.
0: I'd like to think from the way that we hired, which had a lot of parallels to what we were looking for, the aspiring principal selection criteria back then, that passion, remember belief, right? And then our favorite one, yep. Ufker, on the only focus and Ufger. goals of results, right? There was something about those two things that I think, you know, we got shit done and we had this deep passion for like what we're doing there, right? And I think, you yeah. know, to this day, I look at where so many of us, both who worked on staff, folks who came through the program, also worked on staff, and like what people are doing today. And I tell people this all the time. I say, pound for pound, I would put new leaders, staff, alumni, and new leaders, alumni against any organization in the country. Mm-hmm. Yes, that means Teach for America. Yes, that means it means a lot of these orgs. I'm like, come get some smoke if you want it, but I don't think you want the smoke. Oh, did I get? Oh, <laughs> oops. <laughs> Got my big B here for Brooklyn. <laughs> Jen was like, "When is Crazy oh, wow. Ron
1: Come back?" I know. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to see me doing this on the podcast, but I'm, I'm holding my head and <laughs> then. Well, don't yeah.
0: worry. I am sharing video clips, so this may be one of the videos.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like half uh, the time when Ron and I to- are together, yeah. I'm going like this.
0: Jen, before I wow. ask you the <laughs> Rothering, I have to go back to one of my favorite social moments at New Leaders, and you know where I'm going.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Holy. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Are uh, we going to bring up one of those oh pictures? with your, I think you had bangs. Oh, my God. I think you, I think you were rocking a, a cut with some bangs. I probably... In that oh, my
0: God. my hair, I didn't know any better around my hair. fam. I... Look, when I knew better, I did better. That's all I got to say to that. But all Maybe, I to say is...
1: I mean... Sorry.
0: <laughs> cut me off. So rude. No, but... <laughs> no, but Bowling, us knowing that we were competitive, yet pound for pound, our team wasn't that good. Despite some of the members of our team, Dan (laughs) Hammonds. Wow, these. I I I still keep in contact with Dan. Dan and I talk about once a year. Yeah, and what's really funny about those bowling stories is that we came in it into it having fun, and yet there was this hodgepodge of characters. We had hardball, we had. <laughs> who was drunk most of the time and incredibly awkward? Oh my, Jen, Jen. Gosh, I
1: hope these people are not listening.
0: <laughs> well, that's why I ain't gonna name a name. Damn. I mean, I can name Dan, because Dan, my boy, Dan knows he's competitive to like the nth degree. <laughs>
1: like, I'm, I'm like, yeah, some well, of us are very competitive. Some of us were very, very competitive.
0: But those, like, if I go back to like a bond and a social moment, that I don't so forget. And funny. this is where y'all met Shanita cuz Shanita, she and I were dating. That's and she came out and like I think <laughs> despite some of the quite awkward moments that were experienced during bowling, she had a really good time with all of y'all. She really
1: did. We like we talked all the time. And we currently love her. I, we I remember <laughs> my first question to her was how do you deal? <laughs> <laughs> That's so rude. How do you deal?
0: And I think she just
1: looked at me and went, "A girl. <laughs> I I am
0: not as much of a handful as people put me out to be. It's just when you have this much, you know, energy and charisma, like it's I oh, don't don't put your hands in. Hand.
1: Oh. No. <laughs> Oopsie. Do you ever do you ever have any guests just go silent?
0: <laughs> You're the first because now the the Ronderings universe gets to see Goofy, ridiculous Ron in all of his glory.
1: Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you could just let that all out.
0: <laughs> well, you know, in successive episodes, I got to tell you, like, I think more of that Ron's gonna be coming out. So,
1: might as well, you know. It's part of who
0: I am. It's part of me being somatic,
1: being in your body, <laughs>
0: being in somatic. My
1: body. In <laughs> oh my <laughs> god!
0: Oh no! It's not supposed to be a comedy routine. So,
1: I know. So. What is the
0: rendering you want to share, Jen? What is the lesson or value you'd like to share with the audience?
1: Um, I would have to say you're always practicing something.
0: Mm. Say more about that.
1: Because somatics is so much about practice, right? We, we use that. I say we. I'll just say I. I use that often as a question in my coaching. Like, what are you practicing right now? Because mm. we're always practicing something. Yeah right? The real power is that you can be practicing what you want to be practicing, right? To bring intentionality to it. But we're always practicing something. And I think that's always a good reminder for, you know, that awareness. Is this something I want to be practicing Mm -hmm. and really brings me closer to to the life that I want or not?
0: Mm. Well, Jen, I know if we stayed on for another hour, more of the ridiculousness would come out. Yes. Ron Rapitalis. Yeah, I did say Rondiculous. I did. I mean, this, okay. you know, and I didn't call myself Phenomenon just yet, although the back of this um, sweatshirt has Phenomenon on the back of it because there's only one. You know what I'm saying?
1: There should only be one. <laughs> there should only be
0: one. <laughs> only be one be only be More one. than one would be destroying the uh, the world's energy. It would be overwhelming even, if there was more I than I don't want
1: one. to know what would happen. No.
0: <laughs> I don't want to know either. <laughs> there would be Benita Bafatalo and Beva and Bofia. I'm like, oh no, there's like other like iterations of Ron's family. Oh no. <laughs> oh, <God>. Bizarro <laughs> I'm, version. I'm, I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, they're crazy. Oh no. <laughs> um, Jen, before you leave, what would you like to promote to the Ronderings universe? Things you're doing, upcoming events etc.
1: Yeah. Well, I would say, um, if anyone's curious about somatic coaching, I'm always happy to have a conversation about it. I did a little pilot in the last few months of some somatic practice, mm. the first Monday of the month, and I'm probably going to continue that in the new year, but maybe even with more Mondays. Okay. So um, that's called easy Mondays and a good way to get in your body and practicing that self-awareness that we talked about.
0: Mm. Well, Jen, it was a pleasure to have you on. I couldn't end this podcast if I didn't go cha. cha, cha, cha. I know, inside joke, y'all. Inside <laughs> But you you didn't think I was you, you, you yeah. didn't think was you didn't think I was gonna do it? This is my podcast. It's my, <laughs> my podcast.
1: I'm giving you that silence. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I really thank you for ending on that note. <laughs> That's my name. Yeah. That's my name.
0: That is your name.
1: Peace rap. It was so fun. And I really appreciate all the conversations you have on this show. It's really been fun to listen and fun to be a part of it.
0: Thank you. Well, thank you for being guests. Rondering's Universe. In the words of Coach Prime, we keep coming. More incredible guests like Jen coming on the mic soon. Peace. I'm left with reflecting on Jen's episode with how I can practice more with intentionality. I have to say, when I am working out, I do think about that 90% of the time and try to coach others on what that means. They'll say my own meditation practice helps a ton with that to just be in tune with the connection between my mind, body, and spirit. But I'm left sitting with how I can continue to practice. With intentionality in my life. And I hope you're Rondering the same thing, Rondering's universe. So check us out. We come in more hot guests. Peace.